Good morning, Father's House. Uh, now connecting to our congregations online on Facebook, YouTube, and on radio. So welcome to church, everybody. You are in part two of a touchy, but I think powerful topic. And that's the topic of God and money. And I know that that immediately raises the temperature and you'll know that in our building in North End, that's more than a pun right now. We can't afford to raise the temperature anymore in this room before the saints uh, slip into a coma. So, um, but, but it is a topic that we agreed last week. I think we agreed last week. We should not make weird or untalkable or untouchable that it is more weird to say we could never talk about it than it is to raise what the Bible has to say on it. So if you missed last week's introduction on the topic, I'd invite you to go to a podcast or YouTube and have a, have a listen. I also want to um, uh, thank uh, some of the Kingdom investors who just after a single Sunday of talking about this topic responded in some of our churches. I want to acknowledge a Kingdom investor in Cape Town who uh, uh, gave the pastor, I think, 15,000 rand after the service to build a coffee counter in the church and the coffee counter is being built at the moment, I believe. I think the same is true in Jeffrey's Bell. I think 12,000 Rand was given for a very similar purpose. That's not the goal of this conversation, but please, by all means, don't let me get in your way. I want to acknowledge the incredible work taking place in the city of George and also in Kericha where our building is being turned into a center that could be rented and used by the community. Amazing things that do happen. But the, the goal or purpose of this conversation is to teach us as believers how to live a biblical life outside of this building or these four walls. It's not about how church works so much as about how faith works in the workplace and in my everyday life. Is that fair to say? So I've picked the most controversial headline or title for my topic today, for my message title today. I want to invite you to please not screenshot it and then forget the rest of the message. Just, just stay till the end. Is that okay? Because this is what I'd like us to do for part two. The title of today's message is, to be honest, the 10% tithe is Old Testament. Comma, so what replaced it? And that's the conversation. I don't know why the team took the comma away. I especially wanted the comma. The comma had to be there. Grammar matters. If I'm completely honest on this conversation, there is no New Testament example of the invoking of the 10% as it was done in the Old Testament. I think we must just say that honestly. There isn't one. There isn't even a verse that I can do sort of Greek gymnastics with and tell you if you read it in the original, you would get it. There just isn't one. So I'm just, is it, is it okay if I'm just completely honest with you about that? How many of you have been waiting all your adult life to hear a pastor just get up and say that? Like you have been waiting all your adult I, I do want you to know that anything in the Old Testament that Jesus didn't fulfill gets brought into the New Testament in a different or sometimes in a better way. So let's park that and have that conversation a moment. Today, I'd like to start with a, a passage of Scripture that's an easy entry 
to the conversation. It's from Romans chapter eight, and we all love Romans chapter eight. If you were a Bible highlighting tuck, you probably highlighted this verse. It says this, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Jesus, through Him rather who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's start there this morning to say, nothing separates you from the love of God. Can we say amen to that? Having much, not having much does not separate you from the love of God. Giving generously or not giving generously or not giving at all does not separate you from the love of God. This is not a matter of your eternal destiny or condition. The only thing that is a matter of your eternal destiny or condition is your believing in and receiving of Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. So can we say that the love of God is unquestionable? Is that fair to say? That the love of God is unquestionable. So we acknowledge today the love of God is the power that keeps us at work keeps us in faith and is at work in us. But there is another kind of uh, um, a connection that is also mentioned in the Bible and that's the part we're talking about today. God's love for me is held by His hand on my life. I am the receiver of God's generosity. But there's another kind of connection that we all have to make. And that's where the topic of money fits in. It's found in Ephesians chapter four. And let me take you through verse 17. It says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles did in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they are giving themselves over to sensuality, to indulge in every kind of impurity. They are full of greed. Now, it's a heavy passage of Scripture, but here's the connection I want you to know. Nothing separates me from the love of God, but there are things that can separate me from the life of God. Can we go back to that verse for a moment? I, I want you to see it again. I want you to go back to the verse production that specifically says that separates us from the life of God. I think it was on your second slide. Could you do that so that I can, there we go. Um, they are darkened in their understanding and separated, you, you had it good, and separated from the life of God. So here's the thing. We have a lot of Christians who are not separated from the love of God. But in some area of your life, you have been separated from the life of God that He intended in that area. Can you say amen to that? You see, if you conduct your marriage or your relationships a certain way, it's either life-giving or life-taking. And so you need lifelines to the life of God. I can be saved, loved by God, full of joy, but in some area in my life, I don't experience fullness of life or abundance. I feel like there's a separation between the life I live and the life the Bible says I could live. There's some barrier. And today, I want to talk to you about how important it is that you fire some weapons against your enemy and keep the connection between not only the love of God, but the life of God that God has intended for you. 
I wasn't sure if in this heat we would be able to secure any clapping at all. But I'm grateful that you did that. And the Bible goes on to say that if we remain ignorant, there is this risk that we will be separated not from the love of God, but from the life of God. I came to find in my own personal life that my handling on money, and especially money in the church, because I was so embarrassed to raise the topic, that I would create a big mess in, in, in my own uh, uh, privacy, uh, because I didn't want to raise the topic, that in the end, I lost life in that area, because it wasn't honest. I was living in ignorance and I was indulging an emotion that is not healthy. I had to break that free. I remember telling, uh, I told you the story last week, uh, but I'll add the next part. When we had run out of money and I'd used everything, I'd sold all the assets I had and I was a good house flipper and I was put all the money in and I'd borrowed from my family and they're still angry with me about it. And, um, and we ran out and I invited a businessman in our church to come to a meeting and to help me. And he said, show me everything. Show me all your books, all your details. He, he took one look at them and he said, I can't believe that a man who can preach like that can practice like this. I said, thank you very much. It's very helpful. <laughs> he was the biggest giver in the church. He said, second thing I'm going to do, I'm going to stop giving. I said, did you read this trial balance? Third thing he said I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an hour a week of my time to teach you stewardship. He did that for six months. I might get emotional about this. He lives in Nazna now. He did that for six months. I was devastated. All I remembered about that conversation was he was going to stop giving. <laughs> I had such regret. He said to me, here's what you've got to do. You've got to get up and teach on the topic. I said, but the people will leave. He said, not the givers. Not the givers. The givers will clap because they've been doing it and wondering if anyone else is, so just maybe talk about it. He said, the second thing you do, your stewardship is terrible. You don't have management accounts. You don't know exactly what's going on. You think you do. You sort of corner cafe behavior. I took it personally. <laughs> he did. He said all of that. You can, I'll drag him here one day. Sort all that stuff out. Can I tell you, in six months, God honored the stewardship and we were on budget, on target, debt-free and cleared in six months. And to add to it, at the end of the six month period, he called me and he said, okay, look, um, I said I wasn't gonna tithe, I just put it in a separate account. Now that you're free and clear, I'm gonna tithe it, but I didn't want you to be dependent on me. I wanted you to be dependent on God, but it was always God's money, so I'm gonna give it anyway. It's how we bought half the chairs uh, here. I came to realize that I had lots of life in one area and death in another area. And that the, the cause of the death was ignorance of the topic. And that's what Ephesians is trying to warn us about. It's so easy to fall into this trap. Don't talk to me about it because it's sensitive. But the very sensitivity could be leading you into a trap. This is not a new trap. The disciples were faced with this exact same conversation. In Matthew chapter 22, the Bible tells the story of a rather famous story on the topic of money. It goes like this from verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him. Are the lights flashing? 
Is that Jesus just saying, yes, I am here? I don't know. I don't know what it is. I'm just going to pretend. Uh, they, they, then their disciples, they sent their disciples along with the Herodians and they said, teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God. See, the way of God in accordance with the truth. Uh, you haven't uh, swayed, you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, well, how are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. Uh, uh, he, he asked them, uh, whose image is this? Uh, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went their way. Do you know what the debate was then? The debate was, if I pay tax and the government's supposed to take care of the widows and orphans, do I still need to give any tithe? And Jesus said, that's a trap. Be careful. You can't put your trust in man. You've got to do what you have to do as a citizen of earth, but you also got to do what you got to do as a citizen of heaven. Do what's right in both places and God will honour what's right in both places. So there was this potential risk or trap of saying, but what if, should I, do I need to? I... Um, have shared with you that recently I um, dug into my my bag of things God put in my life and I opened this Airbnb little apartment and I've had a great time um, running this little business. Uh, recently, I had two guests who are from Europe. I'm not going to tell you which country, but perhaps if I describe their um, characteristics you would be able to tell me which country. So let's do a little test. This is a high-risk test. They inboxed me weeks in advance and said they're on a tour of South Africa from a country in Europe. Can I accommodate them? I said, absolutely. Closer to the time, they asked if I had international charging adapters. I said, I'll arrange it for you. They said, not to worry, not to worry. They'll bring their own. I asked them what time they would arrive. They said at four minutes past three <laughs> that they were driving from Plett. They intended to stop here and here and they would be at my house at four minutes past three. Any guess what time they arrived at my house? At four minutes past three. Anyone want to guess what nation in Europe I might be talking about? German. Almost everyone said German. Park that for a moment. I watched the tele, I'm a huge fan of creative ways of construction. I watched the program about a house that can be made in a factory and then screwed together. It's unbelievable. Houses should be built like that more. And the challenge by the BBC was to see if this house can be made in a country in Europe on time brought to the UK and put up in the seven days as promised on the brochure. It was done in eight days because the UK truck driver delivering the concrete got the day wrong and was late. But the German company 
delivered the house as promised. Isn't it funny that when you think about a nation like that, you say to yourself, that's what we expect. And isn't it funny that when you think of the nation of the children of God, it's getting harder and harder to figure out what we expect. My notes said pause for effect, so I just thought I would do that. And then the second idea, not the trap, but the teaching. I want to take you to some teaching on the topic. One of the most frustrating, perhaps, examples that people, pastors and preachers love to use about giving is the seed. Anything to do with the seed. Every now and then I have to remind our staff, we are not all farmers. Can we stop talking about seeds? Because it's such an obvious thing. But sometimes we miss the point of the story of the seeds because it's right there in Genesis. So let me just add my voice to it and then clean it up and tell you what I think Jesus is trying to tell us. Uh, Genesis chapter one, then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear uh, uh, a fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. And then again in Luke chapter six, verse 44, each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. So here's the principle of seeds. It's not the idea that my money is a seed and if I put it in God's hand, it will make more money. That's not the idea. The idea of seed is in every area that I want to trust God, I need to take an action. I can't come to church and pray and then not have a budget and expect my praying and my church going will magically fix my budget. There isn't a prayer that solves a problem of principle. There's an action that solves a problem of principle. So if I've got an area where I don't have life, then the lifeline is I need to take an action in that area that will produce a return on investment. Can you say amen to that? See, I can love well and lead badly. And in order to lead well, I have to invest in my leadership even if I'm good at loving. I can praise well, but have financial tension. I need to take an action in my finances because a tree produces after its own kind. And that means if I want to see the hand of God in money, I need to take a money action. And if I want the hand of God in my relationships, I need a relationship action. And if I want the hand of God in my faith, I need a prayer action. And I shouldn't mix them up thinking the one will automatically resolve the other. Let me give you a few practical examples of that. I noticed as the pastor here that Often the young pastors, sorry pastors, I'm going to throw one or two comments. Maybe it feels like under the bus, but it's a very tiny bus. It's a very tiny bus. I just noticed that when the pastors, they got married and life is good and church is busy and we come here early and we leave late, that sometimes the spouses wouldn't be with. And I prayed about it and I thought, maybe I'm giving a bad example because my spouse seldom comes I've now probably activated a lot of crazies, but triggered. So that's not a good term. I should stop using it. So I sat the pastors down and I said, you know what? If you pastor this church and it grows to be one of the biggest churches in the world, but your wife 
doesn't love it and you don't stay married all of your life, then we have failed. So what I want you to do once every six weeks, to have no duty at church, but the duty of coming with your spouse, standing in worship, raising your hands together and leading your kids into kids' church. It's now part of your job description because I need you to take an action in the area or the field from which I want fruit. Otherwise, I'm deceiving myself saying, let's just pray and, you know, Jesus will fix the wife. You know, that's not okay. So it's a rule now. Every now and then when you don't see Vince up here, that's because it's in his job description that he must stand next to his wife in worship once every six weeks or so. Have the kids around them. Have the kids in kids' church. That's what we do. Do you understand? That's what our nation of people does. It's to be expected, like the Germans and the timing. It's to be expected. It's what we do. I think this idea is very, very important. You, the, the tree must produce after its kind. Uh, Kelly in Jeffreys Bay messaged me and said, because I posted yesterday that I'm harvesting figs out of my fig trees. What good timing the Lord has. They've just perfectly ripened it. She messaged me and she said, uh, my fig tree is producing nothing. It's just a big tree. Do you, know, do you know what's going on? I said, yes, a fig tree has a particular problem. I'm going to answer a Bible thing now. So this is not just a gardener rambling on about his hobby. Uh, I'm going to answer something very important now. A fig tree has a very specific um, uh, problem. I'll tell you what the problem is. It has a hormone in it that makes it want to grow tall. You can Google this. You can check me on this. It makes it want to grow tall. While that hormone is active, it won't produce figs. So you've got to take the tall thing and you've got to prune it so it bushes out. Then it gets the message, we don't need to try and get tall, we need to produce. Do you know that the same word in Greek for pruning is the word for discipling? I train the tree in the way it should go. And when Jesus got to that fig tree that had no fruits and said, let's curse it, and the man said, give it three more years. That other story, give it three more years. I will come and I will fertilize it and I will take care of it. What the owner of the fig tree was saying is, I'm sorry I neglected this tree. Give me three years to tend to it like a disciple and it'll produce fruit. And I've realized I can have green leafiness in my bank account, but unless I disciple my bank account, it will not be fruitful. I have to disciple it. That's a very, that's a, that's a real powerful thing. The principle of the seeds in the scriptures, producing after its own kind. Another example, if a man wants friends, he must show himself friendly. That's a proverb in the Bible. If a man wants to have friends, he must learn to be friendly. I invest in this area. I reap a harvest from that area. Final example, now that I'm, an Airbnb entrepreneur. Loving it. There have been some awkward moments though. Very awkward moments. One person booked in from PE. So I texted and said, I see you're in PE. Little did they know we are mutual friends on Facebook. Oh, she said, I just need to get away from the kids. 
but she doesn't know who I am. It just says host George. She arrived. Pastor. She said to her husband, I think we must go home and take care of the kids. I said, no, no, come inside. The Lord has brought you here for a reason. Come tell me what's going on with your kids. The most awkward chicken ever uh, I've ever had. But I'll tell you what happened was um, I start to think about host and guest experiences. I stayed in my own Airbnb. Oh, it needs this and it needs that. I dug out stuff I hadn't used myself in a while, but I thought the guest would like that. I got an aircon in. My apartment, Airbnb apartment, has an air conditioner and an air fryer. I don't have either of those. And um, I, I suddenly am in, on a mission to repurpose what I have for something I want to do. What tithing will do is it will cause you to prune the unnecessary growing so that you can produce fruitfulness. But the most valuable thing it will do is it will train your mind to think in a new way. Here's my thinking. My thinking is I've taken care of my business spiritually. God's going to bless me. I spend every day looking forward to a blessing. That's my mentality. When I look at the calendar, I think that calendar is going to get full. Every night is going to get booked. You know why? I've taken care of business. God's going to take care of me. The alternative is to have a negative mindset. Nothing works in PE. Nothing works in South Africa. We don't even have electricity. How can I look at my calendar? Or you can take a step back and say, I don't know what's going on in the kingdoms of this world, but in the kingdoms of my God and my Lord, business is taken care of and my mindset is a blessing mindset. Mindset. I'm anticipating a blessing. Not like a magical, like a magic trick. I'm so I'm working harder, I'm thinking more, I'm planning more. My headspace is anticipation and expectation, and that changes the way I do life. You see, I'm not going to allow the devil to separate me from the life of God. Because if he can't separate me from the love of God, he's going to come after my life areas in which I would have life. Thirdly, the task. Talked about the trap and the teaching and then a task. Proverbs chapter three, verse nine says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflow and your vats will brim over with new wine. This task is for me, to honour the Lord in every area of my life. Do you know why swearing is not good as a Christian? Not because it might separate you from the love of God. When I grew up as a young Christian, there were like these weird lines. Like if you drank anything at all when I grew up, then you were like on your way down. You know, then the saints had to ask um, the sinners to buy them some wine for the, for the cooking because you didn't want to be seen coming out of a, a, a bottle store with a bottle of anything in a brown paper bag. So I had to, you always kept a born-again neighbor on one side and then a not-yet-born-again neighbor on the other. You asked them, I just need a bit of red wine for the roast. And you know, if you swore and you took it to a certain level, then, oh, you know, uh, Jesus might leave you. All of that is not true. The love of God 
Nothing can say, if angels or demons can't separate you from the love of God, then the odd swear word isn't going to. But you know why it's not good for you? Because the Bible says, out of the same mouth should not proceed blessings and cursings. So the principle is while you're cursing, you're not blessing. The principle is salt and fresh water coming out of the same mouth. The principle is don't have two kinds of lives. Have the love of God and the life of God. Something that's full of eternity in it. That's the principle. Is that an amenable thing? So you don't need to, you don't need to clap, it's okay. Um, I, I want to encourage you to think about whether you have life in your finances and whether you're doing anything in it that will produce life. And that's why honouring the Lord, I honour Him with my mouth. Let no unwholesome talk proceed out of your mouth, but only such as useful to the hearer that it may edify those who hear it, is in Hebrews. I honour the Lord with my body. It is the temple of the Lord and I therefore will treat it accordingly. I Honour the Lord with my time and I devote myself to worship, whether in person or online, and I honour the Lord with my wealth. I've got to find a seed to sow in every sphere so it can produce a harvest in that sphere. It's not mixable. So then, what about the 10%? I'll give you my personal, my personal response to that. There are little examples in the New Testament, you know, 10 lepers got healed, one came back and thanked the Lord, 10, one. There's that kind of thing. There's a lot of that. But what the Bible is much clearer about in the New Testament is that I must do it from my heart under two conditions. The one condition is it must bring me joy. It must be a pleasure. And the second is it must cause me to have faith. Now that's very important. Let me tell you what I mean. Um, if I find 10 rand under the seat of my car, that would be a miracle. But if I find 10 rand under the seat of my car, I didn't know I had it, now I've got it, and I stick it in my wallet, and I give it. It is good, but it has not provoked faith in me because I didn't know I had it. But when I receive my income and I plan my month, I take a moment and say, what can I do to honour the Lord with my wealth that is a joy for me to do, a pleasure to do? And when I look at the rest of my month, I say, I'm going to trust the Lord that everything else flourishes so that it goes well with me as I trust the Lord. Do you know where that landed me? I started way below 10%. I'm just going to be completely honest. Plus, I said to myself, well, I've given the Lord my life in ministry. Surely, he doesn't need any finances. Like, I'm giving him me. And Jesus is like, awesome. I'm going to give you back lots of friendships and family and community. Finances would be a mess. No life there. Lots of life here. Then I realized, plow the field. Don't swap the field. There's an amen. That's an amen in the background. I don't know what that was. A child screaming is an amen in this house today. And so, you know, I started way below, but I persevered. And I'm way over 10% now. Way over. I stopped kind of doing the calculation. But I'm over 10% because I'm still in the two conditions of joy and 
it provokes faith. And to wrap up with a personal, I've been personal about this series and then give you like, like four gunshot bullet points that you can look at during the week. Uh, after lockdown, I struggled personally to think about my life starting up again with big church gatherings. I just struggled with that. I liked online and I started getting used to the, um, the seclusion of being on your own. We'd gone through so much. Do you remember how many times we were in the paper for things that weren't even true? And then we had that, I had that stalker who sent drones to my house. I'm not even joking. Like a drone, I'm cooking here, and here's a drone. Yeah, I've got another one at the moment. I might as well tell you just to tell you how funny people are. Somebody got hold of me, they even came here Sunday night, but I'd gone home already, they were too late. So I phoned them, they said, Urgently get hold of me. And this guy, and I, I spoke to him, I said, So I'm phoning you back. He said, You, he said, You, I, I'm so angry, I'm gonna see you face to face. He said, He said, You have been dating my wife. I said, so when have I done this? Going back to 2017, I said, sir, I don't think you know PE. I said, if I shop at spa, then the people from Willie's phoned me to ask me what they did wrong. <laughs> There's no way. Anyway, I don't know him or his wife, and it's not true, by the way. And this, that whole thing's going to divide you into one half cheering and the other half uh, uh, worrying. It's just not true. He's, he's got the wrong pastor. He, he was confused. He thought I dated this other lady called Stephanie and another. So I said, wrong pastor, but the other pastor sounds very busy. Um, <laughs> I wish you all very well. It's not me. All these ladies are dated. When did I do this? Anyway, um, but I, I struggled to get past that idea and I liked the seclusion. I thought maybe I'll become a YouTube pastor, you know, and just do online stuff on my time and all of that. But it didn't sit well and I was thinking that way because my heart was hurt, not because I was healthy. So even when I was in Cyprus, I stayed on, on daily devotions. And I remember one or two of you saying, Pastor, you're on leave. You don't have to watch. You don't understand. I wasn't watching daily devotions out of obligation. I was watching Daily Devotion because it was my lifeline. I needed to persevere in something I do every day, something I do every week, something I do every month. Because when the storms come, the persevering prevails and you're steadfast in it and the storms knock you about. I needed the connection you need to do some things you do out of discipline, out of routine, and out of determination. Persevere at it until the victory comes. Persevere at it until the victory comes. We all need a prayer to pray into each field. We all need a principle to believe and follow. We all need a practice, something to do, and we all need a perseverance, the attitude with which we do it. I now want to conclude with perhaps something none of the pastors will, will, have, um, will have signed off on <laughs> yet again. Um, 
the financial health of father's house nationally is 20% stronger than it was before the pandemic. It is better than it has ever been. We are not teaching to solve tension. We're teaching to show life. For God is good and His mercies endure forever. Can you say amen to that? Would you please stand with me as we pray? Wherever you are in any church, uh, every church. Here's how we'll do this. We'll take a moment and I'm going to invite you to prayerfully offer to the Lord every field or sphere or area in your life. Are you willing to do that? Whether it's the words of your mouth, the meditation of your heart, the actions of your hands, the directions of your feet. You're going to say, Lord, I want to sow a thing in accordance with its kind. I can't pray here and expect something to be sold there. I've got to sow into each of them. This journey taught me not to be an additions guy, but to be a multiplications guy. See, an additions guy says, I have this, I take away, that's minus. If I get a raise, that's plus. A multiplication guy says, if I put this in the hands of God, he's able to make two bags four and five bags ten. God is able to multiply. That's the principle. So let's pray, because I have a, a real sense in my heart that this is such a, a burdensome area for so many people. I want you to be in victory in it. Amen. So Lord, will you break every chain in Jesus' name so that we are not the victims of spiritual ignorance or attacks of an enemy, but that we are the beneficiaries of the life of God. Thank you that nothing separates me from the love of God. Today, I determine that nothing will separate me from the life of God either in this world. And we honour you for it in Jesus' name and everybody said, would you give God a shout of praise and thanksgiving?